Just before we get started, I want to share with you one of our sponsors and a secret to our success. I don't know about you, but I got into commercial property to build a more passive income. But how do you manage multiple clients and contracts in multiple buildings without spending all of your time on endless spreadsheets? After a lot of research, we use Office R&D, the best flexible workspace software to manage our CMO buildings, co-working and flexspace. For starters, the automated bill run saves hours of work and means we don't miss any revenue. Plus, I can get many reports on the performance of each product and location. But here's the real clincher. We all need to focus on customers more and our clients can now use our app to access buildings, book meeting rooms, review their invoices. And there's a great feature where they can interact with our member community. And this is all managed from within the Office R&D platform. There's a partner link in the show notes so you can book a demo. Take a look, see how the system can improve your operations and customer experience. Right, make yourself comfortable. Let's get on with today's show. Hello and welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where we shine a spotlight onto commercial property investing for the private investor. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. Now, myself and my guests are not here to tell you how awesome we are or intellectually brilliant we must be to navigate this really complex or supposedly complex market. My job is to share with you how this market really works for property investors like you and me. There are more parts to this market than residential investing, granted, I appreciate that, but not as many as we're led to believe. It just takes time to understand the subtleties and nuances of the commercial market and learn how to identify the sort of different layers that make it up. But don't worry, that's what we're here to help you with. So this week, I'm talking finance again. And this time, it's financing the development of your new spaces. Picture the scenario. You've just managed to get a commercial property deal over the line. It was a struggle to get the money together, but you made it happen, and the building is either yours or will be very shortly. However, how do you finance the refurbishment or the development element? Because if you're going to add some value to an existing property, it often means you're going to have to add some cash to physically build it out. That's not always the case, of course. You could add value by sorting out some issues on the profit and loss on an already up and running property. In other words, reduce any unnecessary expenditure or increase the income through bringing the rent up to market rates, which can be done with rent reviews for leases or much more easily through the use of licences, of course. Or you could find a new single-let tenant for the whole building, who'll do the fit-out for themselves. But for this episode, I'm talking more about multi-let properties, where you already have maybe some income, but there's an opportunity to let more space. Of course, we should have all worked out where the refurbishment finance was going to come from before we committed to the purchase. So this episode is to help you work out how to bridge that potential gap once you've bought the building. I've got nine different ways of funding this, at least seven of which I've used myself. But before I dive in to explain the nine ways to finance this phase of your investment project, let's just start by saying the best way to redevelop a property may not always be clear at the beginning of the process. Sometimes, if there's already a partial income in place, then you may not need to redevelop the whole building to actually make it work financially. In other words, the income is already enough to give you a reasonable return. This gives you some wriggle room to work out what's going to be the best way of exploiting the remaining unlet space in your latest investment. 
our most recent purchase had an income already in place, which effectively pays for the, the finance costs and leaves something left over after all the other costs. So we have the flexibility to respond more closely to what the market is asking for. Because if we didn't have that flexibility and we had to redevelop, we may have got the money up front, redeveloped it out fully, but then it might not have quite given what the market's after. But because we have that cushion of income there, it's allowed us the ability to respond to the market requirements that are coming to us. Now, if it is a full-blown redevelopment with new floors, ceilings, walls, electrics, plumbing, you name it, heating, windows, everything, at say 500 or even a thousand pounds a square metre, then granted a thousand square metre building is going to need a bit more than a small trading loan to do the full redevelopment. So when I go through these, some will be applicable to different scenarios. Some will be suited to bigger or smaller scale redevelopments. You might even use a combination. But I suffice to say that if you're doing a full on redevelopment, then you absolutely must get all that money agreed and sorted out up front, at least in 99% of cases. But this is talking more about developments where you have either the opportunity to add income because there's some there or the opportunity to change the space without too much structural work. So first up, can you fund the redevelopment through cash flow? So this is the first one. Can your current property income be used for reinvestment? So if you're just starting out, then I can understand this is maybe not an option. <laughs> but as your portfolio gets bigger, this is an excellent way to fund redevelopment. And if done in the right way, it can be really tax efficient. Effectively, spending your profit on maintenance and repairs can reduce your tax bill at the end of the year. There are a few layers to this and some background computations, as the accountants would like to say, that you'll need to check with your accountant to get advice on. But suffice to say that if you're trying to build a portfolio and get some momentum, then this can really help make your money go further. Now, some of you might well be saying, that's fine for you, Jerry. You have a portfolio up and running, but what about me? This is my first commercial venture. Well, that might be true, but it's worth knowing for the future. Commercial can give you some more tax advantages than you'll ever get in residential. And refurbishment is definitely one of those areas, coupled with things like capital allowances and VAT. So the second one is, and I've mentioned this before, completing sections in a phased manner and letting space as you go is really helpful if you can do things in a phased manner. And if you can, it will allow you to respond in real time to market demand, as I said earlier on. And it can become almost self-funding, but of course it does mean it will be a slow process. So if that is your choice and speed is important to you, then this method might be a bit restrictive. But effectively what you're doing is you've maybe got some income on the building initially when you bought it, You've then phased a small element of development and then that starts producing an income. Then you move on to the next phase, that produces a bit more income. So you may be still having to borrow some money, but not the full amount. And as you go along, you're building a bit of momentum up, which is allowing you maybe to start financing the development through the cash flow that's coming in. The third one is bridging finance. Now, it's likely for this to work for you, it may well have to be that the whole purchase and refurbishment costs are funded at the beginning with the same bridging finance company. In episode 27, Michael, Michael Primrose, goes into this type of lending in more detail. 
and some of you will be well versed in its use for developing out residential projects. It is one I have not used myself. Not because I'm adverse to it, it's just one I've never needed to use and it's still an option for us. The fourth one is grants and some interest-free loans. Believe it or not, there are still grants available out there for certain properties in certain locations. It can be a full-time job tracking these down and applying for them, which is a bit of a challenge. But with our Dundee development, for example, we were extremely fortunate that the Dundee Civic Trust took an interest in our project and helped fund some of the work to the exterior of the property. And this did make a big difference to the development. I've also recently learned of a a new local government fund to support bringing back older properties into use in the area where we actually live. But unfortunately, we don't have any developments in that area right now. So there are some options out there if you dig around enough. But a word of caution, it's not worth completely reinventing your strategy just so you can pitch for a local grant or for some money from a government agency because it can end up defeating the whole purpose of what you're actually trying to achieve. Then the fifth one is about tenant fit-out. So another way to fund or even remove the need for finance to support a redevelopment could be that you use your incoming tenant's finance. That basically means the customer pays for the full fit-out and creates whatever it is that they need to make their space work best for them. This is often a tactic for single-let properties rather than multi-let, but it can still be done, and retail is a good example of this where a shop or a commercial unit is developed by a national brand who has a specific way that they would like their unit to look. And they actually do all the capital expenditure on that. Now, commercial letting agents will often tell you, don't do anything to a property and get the tenant to pay for all of it. Some commercial property gurus would say the same thing. But there's a couple of caveats here. Whilst I agree in part that it is possible to do that, I would add that even the most basic of fit-out does help sell the space better. Even if it's just a freshen up and a tidy up after the mess left by the outgoing previous tenant. If you're in a competitive market, every bit helps. If you're on the high street in an area where all the units are let and it's just a line of customers outside, then yeah, you maybe don't need to spend any money. But if you're struggling to get a tenant, just be prepared to freshen the space up, even though the agent is telling you you don't need to. Because just that lick of paint will help the fewer potential customers coming through the door to see how that might work for them. And the second thing to bear in mind is that an incoming tenant who is paying to fit out their space will expect a reduced rent or rent-free period. But I guess that's the price you pay in order to not put your own money into the fit-out. So the sixth one is bank finance. Now this is an obvious one. But on a few occasions, we have gone back to the bank to get funding for certain phases of our developments over the years. And sometimes that's been really easy, surprisingly easy to get the funding. But other times it's been more difficult. I don't think that's necessarily because of the way we've presented it or because of the actual opportunity, but just because of the internal workings of the bank, where they were at, where they were at in terms of liquidity. It's likely to be one of your cheapest options, though, if you can get it. And as I say, we have finance buildings in the past right at the start where we've bought the building and agreed at that stage the money the bank will put in for redevelopment. 
But there are other occasions when you can go back to the bank. Once you've established a certain income, you've established certain customers in that property, now you want to develop the next phase that you go up to them and ask them for a bit more money for that phase and you've got track record there to prove it. There was one development we did not too long ago where I knew the amount of money we needed to borrow was probably too much for the bank. So what I did was I borrowed money for a phase that allowed the bank to see that we could deliver what we were promising. And then we borrowed more money for the next phase. And that way, you're not asking for too much up front and getting a no. You're getting a, yes, this is less risk. We'll maybe give you the money for this element with the possibility of lending for the other elements in the future. So the seventh one is private finance. And this is one we've used successfully in the past too. For our first historical property development, we used bank funding to buy the building. In fact, there was 100% funding to buy the building and then a mixture of cash flow. So one of the ones I spoke about earlier on and private investor finance to develop it out. We also phased this one as well. So there was quite a few elements in there. The tricky part, of course, is if your private finance supplier wants security and the bank already has a first charge. That can be a bit more difficult to get around, but there are workarounds, so don't completely dismiss it. As I say, we've used this as part of a combination of funding for previous property developments. The eighth one is asset finance. Now, this is not going to allow you to finance the whole part of your redevelopment, but we have used it, and it's part of the mix. It's not something you can use on your own, as it is really for movable items only, so basically, they finance a asset, a specific movable piece of kit or whatever it is, so that if something goes wrong, they can come in and claim ownership of that and try and recover some of their lending. However, some of the items we have had asset finance on are pretty diverse. So over the years, we've asset financed or hire purchased metal storage containers, new biomass boilers, phone systems even, and some of the IT kit that's maybe been a bit more expensive. All these things are bits and pieces that asset companies could take away should we default on the loan. So it's something you could maybe think about, particularly on the boiler side, if there's an element that's got a chunky um, capital cost that you could maybe get some finance in. Now, don't forget, you will have to put in a deposit or, or a, some money down. For us, it's been 10%. It may be more nowadays. But it's something that will give you upfront money for a specific element of your redevelopment. Not all of it, but some of it. So the ninth one is a trading business loan. So this one's a wee bit more complicated. But by using two separate entities, bear with me, you might have more options to access money for fit-out. So what I mean by this is that you could hold the property in one entity, or company, effectively, and then actually operate the property with a different company, which is effectively the trading company. So the trading company manages the day-to-day. -day. It maybe holds the agreements with customers and suppliers. It perhaps employs any staff if you have any. It doesn't own any property. It does all the trading for the property. And this scenario is called a PropCo Opco setup. So the PropCo is the business or the entity that owns the property. And it is effectively an investment company from a tax point of view. On the second company or, or um, entity, this is the OPCO, that's the operating company. And as the trading business doesn't hold the property, it's therefore by definition not the ultimate landlord. And often if you're the landlord or perceived as the landlord, 
it can make certain things like accessing alternative money and some government support more difficult. Sometimes there can be less strings if you're doing it through an opco as well. It could be an improvement loan, for which will be shorter term, of course. And these can sometimes be government or local agency-backed investment loans. This, again, is not for the property company. This is for the operating company. So depending on where you operate, some countries are really supportive. Some counties or, or states are really supportive. Others, not so much. You're just going to have to investigate that where you are. But it is an option to look out for. Typically, this type of funding will be for the shorter term, though. So payback amounts are higher. For instance, it might be that the payback period is 60 months, five years, or maybe 36 months shorter, you know, maybe three years. They're also relatively expensive compared to um, traditional bank finance. But it's definitely a consideration. Propco, opco. I might do that on another podcast at some time because there are other benefits for dividing that operating and your investment side into two separate entities. But this is definitely one of them. It might be that your trading business will be able to get a loan to develop out the space. Now, there will be a slight complication of which company owns the improvements that have been made, which might make it less straightforward accounting particularly for when it comes around to selling the building. So you'd need to talk to your accountant about that and how that might affect those things. But it is definitely an alternative way to fund your redevelopment. So those are the nine different things that I've come across. Now, there are, of course, traditional things and other options, of course, out there. For instance, you could seek out some of the increasing number of green funds available. And some of these funds for green development are grants and some of them are low interest loans. But these are for specific measures. They're not going to cover everything you need done for your redevelopment. So they're definitely part of the mix and becoming increasingly so, but they're not going to fund everything for you. Most of these nine I've used myself. There's only a couple in there I haven't. And quite often it's a number of them. So let's just quickly review them. And the first one is really an exciting one. Can your current portfolio income be used for reinvestment? And I appreciate that might not be the case for you right now, but momentum will eventually pick up for you, which is why I really encourage you not to flip your commercial properties, but to keep them, to keep the cash flow and to build on it. If you think about it, eventually, if you keep adding income producing properties to your portfolio, they will start kicking off enough cash flow, you'll be able to fund your own redevelopments without having to sell anything. That's how you build real momentum in this. But it does take patience and discipline, of course, to get to that stage, but when it begins to happen, it is a bit of a revelation. And of course, it actually means things can speed up even more. If you're not crystallising tax by selling properties and you're using the other tax advantages at your disposal, then commercial property can give you real momentum and it can build much quicker than residential, particularly in terms of funding your own developments through the cash flow you're producing. It's really exciting and it can be very tax efficient. This is one of the key advantages of commercial investing, and it's not talked about nearly enough. So the second one of those, going back to the list, is completing sections in a phased manner, letting space as you go along. It's a form of self-funding, but it is a bit slower, but it helps. And it also helps to prove to potential lenders that this project works. The third one is bridging finance, which some of you have used before to get things up and running quicker. It does tend to be a shorter loan period, so you need to be confident in your exit for that one. 
Fourth one was grants and some interest-free loans. Believe it or not, there are still grants available for certain properties in certain locations. It's worth looking into that and scouting around or asking one of your members of your team to look into that because when you do find them, they can be very worthwhile. The fifth option was get the tenant to fit out the property. And commercial letting agents will often tell you don't do anything to the property, get the tenant to pay for all of it. And that is sometimes possible, but it's not always easy, is that? And you could end up holding a property for quite a while when actually a simple tidy up might have been enough to sell the space to a prospective tenant when it's a buyer's market. So just bear that in mind. The sixth one was bank finance. It's certainly likely to be one of your cheapest options. You just need to work out whether you're going to apply for that up front, whether you're going to apply for it in bits rather than a full chunk, and what security the bank's going to get for that. Bank finance is a whole topic of its own, is it not? But private finance, and we have used this for, um, as I say, a combination of funding for previous property developments, it's definitely a source that we want to work on more. It's helped us with our latest development, so we've not had to put any bank finance in at all, which is which is great. And some cash flow has helped with that one too. So as I say, momentum builds. You can start looking at maybe not using bank finance, which will allow you to offer private finance a bit more security. So the eighth one was asset finance. And as I mentioned, we've asset financed storage containers, biomass boilers, phone systems, IT kit, that sort of thing. Things that are movable and that the company could take security over. And then the last one was consider using a Propco Opco so that the trading business can potentially pick up a loan to redevelop the space for itself, for its business activity, which is letting space to potentially smaller businesses. So I hope that this has made you think about how you can potentially fund your own future developments and the redevelopment element of it. And you can see how climbing up this ladder will give you more options. More options will open up for you as you get more momentum. The key is to get started now. You've heard me say that a few times. You can't get a big machine moving from a standing start in fifth gear. It's just not possible. You need to get started in first and build momentum. Eventually, it can gather pace all of its own. If you want to join in with the conversation with other commercial property investors, then jump on our Facebook page. You'll find it in the usual place. All the W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. On that page, you'll see a tab that you can click on to get access to the private Facebook group. I look forward to talking with you in there. That's where um, you'll find some more content about commercial property and, of course, other investors who are on the same journey. So have a great week. Go on, take a positive step to move forward on your commercial property journey and do that today. Thank you and all the best. You've been listening to Jerry Alexander on the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, 
pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.